With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit PleasurePodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast about love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak, and privates, today we're going to the doctor. That's right, we can't put it off any longer. It is time for a sexual wellness checkup. So we've got Dr. Greg on the show. His full name is actually Dr. Gregory Paskowski, but I'm really trying to make Dr. Greg happen over here, and I think you'll agree with me when you hear from him. He is a Dr. Greg. Anyway, we are going to get into the embarrassing teenage experience that inspired Dr. Greg to start Mona Health, his online sexual healthcare platform. I have used it to get a diagnosis for my thyroid problem when the traditional medical system was failing me hardcore. And I think it's perfect for STI testing. So I love what Dr. Greg is doing with Mona Health, and I always love destigmatizing these conversations. Dr. Greg also gives us a condom primer and offers best practices for emergency contraception, which has never been more important given the state of the abortion bans these days. We're also gonna talk about the preventative HIV drug PrEP, herpes and its treatment, and STI testing. Listen, taking care of your sexual health and communicating risks properly with your partner or partners is essential for having a long, happy sex life. And it's pretty sexy, if you ask me. So without further ado, let's shamelessly and safely get our fuck on with Dr. Greg. So I thought we would do a little health checkup today, a sexual health checkup with you. But first, I want to just get a little skinny for the listeners on what Mona is and why you started it. Love it. Thank you. Well, my name's Greg Paskowski. I'm a family medicine physician. Uh, I'm the co-founder of Mona Health. It's a telemedicine platform. I started it. The genesis of it came from when I was 16 or 17 and looking to get screened for the first time. I come from a small, smallish town in, in Wisconsin, and I had every privilege in the world. My father worked at this hospital. My mother was a professor of nursing. And, and so I had insurance. And I also had a family medicine physician, but it was very hard uh, for lots of reasons. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. <laughs> uh, it was, did not feel comfortable talking to my parents about this, obviously, right. or maybe not obviously, but for me, it certainly felt that way. Um, and I didn't even feel comfortable talking to my physician about it. And so I tried to navigate the whole system for the first time outside of the context of a well child check. And so I had to find the insurance. I had to make the appointment really because I didn't want anyone to know. Uh-huh. And I think I skipped school perhaps to go to this appointment. And it was hard to even vocalize once I was in the room. It was just all a blur. <laughs> Physician comes in 
And I don't remember what I said, but basically <laughs> I, I wanted to get screened. I had unprotected sex for the first time. You know, wasn't a great experience. And of course I was, I was frightened. The worst case scenarios, I have HIV now, um, I'm going to die and, and all these other thoughts. I had grown up in a Catholic household, you know, beyond that. So there's that kind of guilt weighing on your shoulders a little bit. Totally. I grew up Catholic and I'm from a small town in Minnesota. So I totally feel okay. you. <laughs> well, you know, going back to that for a second, I just remember the only kind of sexual education I had probably in middle school, high school was they brought in a speaker probably going on these these circuits. And I just remember she said, even if you don't get someone pregnant and oh, they're not talking about LGBTQ things whatsoever, by the way, it's all right. heterosexual. And even if, you know, there's no objective kind of negative outcome of the act itself outside of marriage, if it happens outside of marriage, it's still negative and there's still a lasting impact on your soul, potentially. Yes. I mean, that's essentially what they said. So that's that was the message, basically. So no STD transmission, no unintended pregnancy, but there's still a stain on your soul, essentially. Do you remember that? Yeah, no, that sticks in your head. I remember someone coming to visit us in health class in high school and they would like rip off a piece of a heart and be like, you know, every time you mess around with someone like this is you give a piece of your heart and that's forever, you know, and that's like so kind of traumatic messaging. <laughs> no, terribly traumatic and terribly counterproductive, I think, in retrospect, especially. I mean, you know, so then you, you're sending all these young kids out there. You know, most most kids have sex before the age of 17. And so the messaging and the education has to happen right then and there. A lot of people don't feel comfortable talking to their parents about this, whatever their sexual orientation or gender identity is. And a lot of parents probably don't feel comfortable talking to their kids about it, you know, mm -hmm. maybe because they think the school is going to take care of it. That's their responsibility or the doctor's going to take care of it. That's their responsibility. And probably because they were treated the same way when they grew up. Mm -hmm. uh, lack of education. I, I mean, I didn't have a cell phone until I was 15. And so all of our information came from those three things, probably, you know, school, you know, religion, if you went to a church or mm -hmm. a synagogue or whatever it was, and then your word hearsay, older brothers, older sisters, that's it. Maybe Playboy magazine here and there. I don't know, <laughs> but it wasn't the internet. There's no internet. I mean, so we were out, out there trying to figure this out on our own. And of course, when you hear that, this is something to be feared. Uh, this is something that's going to damage you permanently. And, you know, I'm, I guess I was born in 83. And so Same. I think yeah. I had my first sexual experience when I was around 16 or so. I mean, you know, we're on the heels of the AIDS epidemic there. And, yeah. and, and you kind of pick up, you know, notes of that. People are literally, this is, this is I mean, this is the pandemic. I mean, this is uh, the thing that is just decimating whole communities of people, even though, I guess, we were not totally reading, we were reading the New York Times, or you were still seeing headlines and things about that. And I think that probably played in our conscious, at least mine, mm -hmm. a little bit. So all that swirling around, a lot of misinformation, a lot of, you know, poor role models, and a whole, you know, swarm of hormones, and, and some, you know, alcohol or whatever else. And yeah, it happened. And then of course, the second after it happened, probably within the hour, I'm like, fuck, uh, I need to get tested. And of course, mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. You know, nothing's going to show up. I guess you probably knew about that. So you have to wait a little bit. But I knew I had to get on the horn house and knew I couldn't tell anyone. At least that's what I felt. Felt guilty. I probably went to confession. But 
again, my father was uh, the CEO of a hospital. My mother's professor of nursing. So I have every uh, opportunity to access healthcare. All friends were doctors or tangentially related to healthcare. And even for me, it was hard. It was hard. It was hard logistically. It was hard financially. I had to spend money from my, my job that I had to pay the co-pay for this that I didn't want to pay, obviously. And, and it was hard. Probably the most damaging piece or the challenge piece was just the, the emotional barrier you had to overcome. Now, fast forward 20 years, and now I'm on the other side of that equation. I'm the physician. I'm making the diagnosis. I'm prescribing medication for treatment. But we're still seeing STD rates increase. And studies are still showing that, you know, the top five more or less barriers to, to good healthcare are embarrassment, are discrimination, uh, especially for our, you know, our LGBTQ friends and mm-hmm. colleagues out there in certain you know, pockets and probably a large swath actually of America, are um, cost and inconvenience and our, and our knowledge base and education. So there's still lots of challenges out there. You know, a vast majority, millions, tens of millions of Americans don't have insurance. And so although we have internet, we think we're so modern, there's still a huge demand or need for these services that's not being met. Patients, 50% of people 25 and younger, give or take, don't have a primary care physician. The other more or less 50% that do don't still feel comfortable talking with their primary care physician about this issue. So the thing for me is that I had trouble as a patient, 16-year-old seeking sexual health care for first time. I don't think a lot's changed. I think it's actually gotten harder from the patient's perspective. I think it's actually gotten harder. Um, even though you, they seemingly have more resources, um, I think access is still a big problem. The relationship with the physician is still a big problem. And you know, and just the general consumer mindset this day and age is, is potentially a challenge because healthcare is not consumer-centric. It's the one thing where we spend 20% of our GDP on healthcare, but you know, there's no price transparency. It's worse, probably, it's worse experience getting into a doctor, even speaking with someone than trying to get a refund for an airline ticket. You know, <laughs> I mean, customer service is not there, not at all. And it's not quick or easy. You try to schedule an appointment, average is like 21 days out. That's if you have a primary care doctor. And then that embarrassment piece, that's still there. That hasn't gone anywhere. That's probably gotten worse, frankly. And then now the internet, I don't think it's made things better. I think it's made things worse with disinformation. I think there's a lot of questionable ideas out there. And I think we'll maybe get to some of those with regards to condoms. But the challenge is still there. And we see it reflected in the ever-increasing STD transmission rates that the CDC publishes every year and the stagnant unintended pregnancy rate. Almost 50% of pregnancies in the United States still weren't planned. They they were kind of a surprise. They were unintended. And that that hasn't changed much. And so there's still a lot of work to do. And I wanted to create a platform where we could address these issues head on by trying to bypass or circumnavigate those, you know, those five main barriers that I identified earlier. Mm-hmm. The embarrassment piece. I mean, there's a certain anonymity, even with you and I speaking like this, there's a, a gap that allows us maybe to be a little more ourselves, potentially, and to not feel too afraid to express ourselves. Uh, but certainly for someone who wants to access healthcare, you know, you're speaking to me from the comfort of your bed, mm-hmm. or your couch versus you having to come into this foreign environment that might make it easier for you. When you have that idea of, oh, shit, I, I should get screened, or I'm about to enter a new relationship, I should, I, I should know my status, and I'd like to know theirs too. You can do that.
This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I want to go through some of your offerings and we can kind of talk about each thing. Actually, first, before we dive into that, let's talk condoms. So what are the basics about condoms that people need to know? Well, condoms are a wonderful thing. They're the only form of contraception out there that also prevent STI transmission. I mean, think about that. I mean, it's a dual threat. It's incredible. It's like the cornerstone of sexual and reproductive health and to help people you know protect themselves and their partners from diseases they may or may not know they have and to ensure that they will most likely have a child when they want it's a good option out there and it's typically the one option most people when they're starting off on their sexual journey the reproductive health care journey use and they go to uh, for a multitude of reasons it's listed it's a essential medicine according to the world health organization more condoms, approximately six to nine billion condoms were sold last year worldwide, which means one for every man, woman, and child out there. <laughs> so they're frequently used. They're frequently relied upon for good reason because they're effective at what they do. What do you say to people who are like, ugh, I hate wearing a condom? Well, I mean, I, that's understandable. Well, you have options then. I mean, if you don't, if you don't like wearing a condom and you don't want to have uh, get pregnant at that time, you know, or you want to have you know, quote unquote, safe sex, then there are things that you can do to, to assure yourself of that. And whether it's you getting screened for sexually transmitted infections and ensuring that your partner gets screened and then sharing that information with each other, that's a great way to do it. Or you can talk about other contraceptive methods that you may want to pursue. So there are options out there. Are there certain condoms that feel better? Yeah, so there are three general types of condoms out there. I mean, in, in terms of the material used to make them, latex condoms, which are approximately 80% of the condoms out there. I think when someone thinks of a condom, it's a latex condom. They're really good at preventing pregnancy. They're really good at preventing XTI transmission. Uh, they're not for everyone, though. If you have a latex allergy, it's not going to work well. And they don't play well with oil-based lubricants. It kind of degrades the condom, makes it less able to prevent small particles like HIV, like viruses from passing through. So it's not recommended to do that. Some people say sheepskin condoms potentially are the most comfortable. They are from are organic in nature. They're good at preventing pregnancy, but they're too porous to prevent viruses from passing through. So if you're wearing a sheepskin condom, you're not protecting yourself or your partner from HSV, herpes simplex virus, or hepatitis virus, or HIV. But there's a final product, a polyurethane or synthetic material condom. You can use all oils with those. They're about 15% of the market. They're a little more expensive typically, but they're also more or less equal in efficacy to 
preventing viral transmission or any STI and unintended pregnancy. So yeah, what are the determining factors for how you pick which kind of condom? Like, is it just what kind of lube you're using? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of variables. If you don't have a latex allergy, then I would I would probably recommend a latex comment nine times out of 10. If you are in a, let's say, a, a monogamous relationship, a heterosexual monogamous relationship, and you're not worried about sexually transmitted infections, but you just are using it to prevent pregnancy, your partner doesn't want to be on a type of hormone contraceptive, which is understandable. Um, if that what if that's right for her, then a sheepskin condom might be might be uh, appropriate in that case. Uh, so it really depends upon what you're trying to do, who's your partner, what's the use case. But nine times out of ten, most people are going to use latex condoms. And then what happens if you have a slip up or a condom breaks or something like that? What's your advice? That's a great question, and you know. The, the thing about condoms is that perfect use case. So meaning if you use it as this was designed and recommended, they're like 98% effective uh, at preventing unintended pregnancy. So basically in the first year of perfect use, two out of a hundred women will become pregnant more or less. However, standard use, how they're actually used in the wild, if you will, <laughs> is 13%. And so it, it increases by over 10% how, how we actually use it. And there are lots of pitfalls in between the purchase even of, of the condom to its disposal. And, and I think it would be helpful to, to go over some of those pitfalls that commonly happen. So, I mean, in other words, it's very user dependent and, and it does require a bit of education. You know, it also highlights the importance of what we should have learned, or what at least I should have learned when I was in middle school and high school. And that instead I heard about fear of God and uh, internal damnation. So if you just, I think it's helpful to think about it from, you know, just how we go about buying cons. And I remember buying cons for the first time. I was very scared. I was, it was, I, was I felt like I was stealing something almost. I certainly <laughs> didn't look the cashier in the eye, you know, I was like, you know, it's, it, I don't know why, again, that, that embarrassment, you know, just washes over you. You kind of just run out of there and then you hide them in your bedroom somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I definitely, I think that I suspect people still feel that way now. And that's unfortunate. But first mistake probably is to, you know, buy or use a condom that has, that's expired. Yeah. Or it's been in your wallet forever and it's been hot, stuff like that. Exactly. That's the first mistake. You know, condoms are rigorously tested. They're validated for a specific amount of time and you can rely upon them if it's within the expiration date. I don't know. My parents, you know, they'll eat week old cheese past the expiration date. They'll <laughs> use, you know, they'll use ketchup. That's like, I don't know, in 20, you know, 19 or something. It's fine. You know, that's again, a generational thing, maybe. Depression era, like mindset. They were. Yes, I'm not in it. I'm not about it. <laughs> we're opting out. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not about it. If it's even close. So. <laughs> If you're about expiration dates, that's fine. Eating food past that, but certainly don't use a condom past that. <laughs> if you okay. buy a condom package and it looks damaged at all, questionable. If anything rings like, hmm, it's kind of strange. You know how they tell you like if a can of beans has a dent in it, you're not supposed to open it because of like botulism fears, I think. Oh, God. Yeah. I'm okay. not sure if it's beans necessarily, but I just, you know, it's canned of food in general. If, if it's damaged at all, you should probably not, not eat the food inside. Same thing for condoms. And don't eat condoms either. That's not good for you either. <laughs> so, okay. yeah. So there's a lot of food analogies here, I guess, in the beginning. <laughs> so expiration date, 
don't go past it. If it's damaged, don't open it, just throw it away. Um, store it, like you said, in a safe kind of climate controlled space. Wallet is probably not a good idea. I understand why people do it because they never know when they might want it. But you have to find a, a better and more secure place for that. Then once you get to the, the sex act itself, um, once you're about to use it, you know, you have to make sure, you know, some women have long nails, you may have jewelry on, make sure that you're opening it up and, and you're not scratching it or tampering with the surface in any way, shape or form. And then when you're putting it on, you know, you've seen it kind of before, they're like two sides, there's like a, a rolling kind of rib, if you will. If I'm the user, rib should be kind of facing up, not down. And then you should put on your penis and just roll it down over the erect penis. A common mistake is, you know, got middle of the night, maybe you've been drinking, maybe not, but like you open it up and then you put it on the wrong way and you try to, it's not going anywhere like, oh shit. And then you have to turn it around, then do that. That's a mistake. Throw it away because you've exposed yourself. You know, there could be pre-ejaculate there, pre-cum. There could be, you could have a virus, you don't know, or a disease that you've already exposed to the surface of the condom now that your partner is going to, that they're going to face. And so that could transmit the potential for a child or potential for a, a disease. So throw it away if that happens. And, and I know I've done that before, frankly, you just have to throw it away. So that's a, that's a common mistake. And then once you're having sex, two big things, you know, two things that can happen. One, it can slip off. If that happens, then you have to be concerned. You have to probably think worst case scenario in that either pregnancy is possible, if this is a heterosexual couple we're talking about, or sexual transmission infection transmission has occurred, um, regardless of what type of couple we're talking about. Also, if a condom breaks, the same thing, and that happens. And sometimes that can happen because sufficient lubrication wasn't used. Um, sometimes you need lubrication. There's no fault. There's nothing bad about lubrication. Lubrication's good, but just remember that for latex condoms, oil lubrication is a no-no. It's going to potentially create an environment where uh, diseases can be transmitted or even the condom will more likely to break because of abrasion, friction things like that. So those are those are two common issues. You know, another issue you may have heard of is called stealthing. Have you heard of that? Yeah, where you don't, you like say you're going to put on a condom and then you don't. Or you put on a condom and then you're having sex and then then the person with the condom removes it like stealthily takes it off. without without telling their partner. Just takes it off. It's evil. Well, it's sexual assault is yeah. what it is, but it's also, you know, that also creates an opportunity for any type of unintended pregnancy, again, it depends upon the couple, but also disease transmission. If that happens, we would have to do, I would recommend the same things I'll recommend for the condom breakage or slippage scenario, but also I would recommend calling Breaking the authorities. Breaking up with that guy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and calling the authorities. Yes, yes. For sure. For sure. Yes. Okay. So what happens if, you know, it's worst case scenario and now it's like, I guess, emergency contraception time? Absolutely. Yeah. So yes, emergency contraception time. And that's a product that we provide on Mona. There is a time component to emergency contraception. There's several different forms. The two most common, uh, one's a prescription medication, one's a non-prescription medication. You've heard of plan B. That's a non-prescription medication. You can be any age, uh, anywhere in the United States, and you should be able to go to your pharmacist or Walgreens or whatever convenience store there is near you potentially, but most likely a drugstore and ask for it. It's expensive mm -hmm. though. I think it's if like you buy the brands bucks, around yeah, 50 bucks, it's expensive. And uh, you have to take it within 72 hours for it to be most effective. And like the earlier, the better, right? 
Yes, earlier the better, but within 72 hours. You know, the sad part too about this though is that you've probably heard stories about some pharmacists like waiving their their right not to serve out of religious objections. Ugh. Yes, that can happen. And I've read horror stories about it happening to women, married women sometimes who are on birth control for other reasons, don't want to have children. And, you know, they're in a rural environment. They go to their to go to the grocery store or CVS, whatever it is, and, and someone objects. And then there's not a manager to, you know, fall back on who would serve them. And that then the person has to drive sometimes, you know, miles. And when we're talking about timing being critical and the earlier, the better, I mean, you've put this person at risk. And so you would like to, and hope that these traditional sources or access points for plan B are reliable, but they're not. Unfortunately, and that's just the world we live in right now in the United States, and it's getting worse, I fear, too. Although that's conjecture, it's not so much objective, but it seems to be the case. No, it's, I think, mathematically, it's getting, it's getting, it's getting worse, worse with the ban, the abortion bans. I mean, emergency contraception is not abortion, but it's crucial when you can't have access to abortion. Then it becomes even more important because, like you said earlier, such a huge percentage of pregnancies are unintended and almost 50 percent and you're absolutely right i mean uh yeah it's not abortion some people think it is i'm not sure why it simply prevents fertilization from happening in the first place there's another medication so if you're kind of past that 72-hour window there's a medication called ella that can be taken within five days it's a pill as well but it requires a prescription and so really timing is the issue do you have both on your site or no yes we do mm -hmm. Yes. And we typically recommend that people um, buy advanced provisions of it. And so if you need one, buy two. Oftentimes we say that if you take the medication too and you're feeling nauseous, you vomit it within like the first two hours or so, then you should take another. And so you should definitely probably buy more than, than one if you think you're ever going to need it. We don't recommend using it for birth control purposes. You know, it's really what it says. It's emergency contraception. They're, they're better, more secure, and more effective ways of preventing pregnancy than emergency contraception. No one wants to be in that position. I think you know that. No, totally. And, you know, the timing is crucial, <laughs> mm -hmm. as I have learned the hard way. And so, you know, especially when you're young, 50 bucks seems like a lot. But it's worth it to kind of have it on hand and be prepared for the emergency because obviously it's unplanned. <laughs> it's worth it on Mona and on other on other sites. You can have it for far less expensive than that. Oh, good. Yeah. So most you know most platforms, us included, we make it available for for far less than than retail at your CVS, Walgreens of the world. There's no fear of being rejected, and you don't have to leave your home. We'll ship it to you overnight. Hey, privates, boo, boo, privates with penises, I'm talking to you. <laughs> Our sponsor, Fleshlight, can help you reach new heights with your self-pleasure. And that is because Fleshlight is the number one selling male sex toy in the world. And they don't just leave you hanging over there. At Fleshlight, you can explore sex toys with expert guides and advice, especially if you're a beginner or you're looking to level up. If you have been listening to the show for a while, you know how I feel about self-pleasure, and it is very, very good. And I definitely endorse using sex toys. I have a lot of fun with sex toys myself. So with the Fleshlight Girls series, you can embrace your wildest porn star fantasies with a different porn actress every night. 
what? With the variety of models, sensations, and intensities, you can live out limitless fantasies. And you can automate your fantasies with the universal launch that fits most Fleshlight products. With its innovative touch control system, just set the controls, sit back, and enjoy. And you have pleasure right in your hands. Your pleasure is in your complete control. And as the ultimate male pleasure device on the market, it's as versatile as you are. Anatomical, stamina building, vibrating, or made for couples, you name it. You define your luxury moment. And I just want to say, if you have any shame around sex toys, please don't. It is so much better than being weird with girls because you feel kind of desperate or whatever. Fleshlight just allows you to chill out, wait for the right girl when she comes, and in the meantime, you know you are going to be getting yours and having a good time. So you don't even have to sweat it. And right now, Fleshlight is offering Private Parts Unknown listeners 10% off your order with our code PRIVATE10. So you just go to ppupod.com. That's the website, ppupod.com. You click Fleshlight and you use the promo code PRIVATE10 to get 10% off your delicious new device. Again, that is ppupod.com and enter code PRIVATE10 and it really helps support the show. It helps support yourself and your own sex drive. So go ahead and use the link in the episode description. We can all be horny together. We can keep this podcast going. So get yourself a flashlight and get yourself off. Okay, so you also do STI tests. And what's your recommendation for circumstances when people should think about getting tested? I reckon, I mean, well, the CDC recommends every woman because the gynorrhea chlamydia rates are so high, get tested every year if they're sexually active, the moment they become sexually active, and then every year after until 25 at least. Again, I'm a primary care physician. And so prevention is my, my forte. That's my uh, North Star. And because I think by acting a little bit ahead of time, you can prevent a lot of needless anxiety and, and a lot of potential disease and, and, and negative outcomes. And so my hope, you know, our goal with Mona is to decrease STI transmission throughout the United States. So there's no reason why gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, HIV, any of these things have to exist. They only exist because, well, for several reasons, but they can all be, all be treated. HIV can be managed, but I think they exist in some ways because A, there is typically infections are asymptomatic. So you don't know you have it. Mm -hmm. And B, you know, I think there's this whole getting back to that embarrassment kind of issue, the political environment issue, the religious influence, the lack of education in our schools, uh, that all conspire in a way to make us uncomfortable uh, talking with each other, and, and, or with ourselves about what sexual health is and should be. I think it, it's, it's perfectly telling when you know what it means to say, are you clean or not? But just think about that for a second. There's already a judgment there. You know, dirty, clean. Like if you have an essay, then you're dirty. That's that's absolutely the wrong way to think about it. But that's the context in which we grew up. And it's almost subconscious. That's how deeply rooted these issues are in our minds. And so getting back to your initial question, though, I think everyone should get screened before every new sexual experience, ideally. And not only that, I think everyone should ensure that their partner is screened. And then you should have a conversation about it beforehand. You should share your results. I did that with my partner now. It's like we were kind of dating around 
at the beginning of our relationship for the first little bit, like we met on Tinder. So we were still kind of seeing other people. And so I think we had condom sex like one time or a couple times or something. And then we just got tested. But right when we became monogamous and shared our results and had a conversation about it. <laughs> just get tested. And, you know, on Mona, we we make it possible. We kind of have a back-end social network aspect where you can you can choose to share your results that are oh. that are housed on your on your kind of profile with anyone that you would like. And they can do the same with you. And so instead of like, okay, well, where's the paper? You know, where's the verification? Yeah. Oh yeah, let me let me go find it or let me pull it up on my app here from your healthcare network. You have to like scroll around and find it's just going to be right there. Very easy to see. And it's a, it's a healthy way to kind of uh, verify. But really, the most important part is having the conversation. And I think part of it, though, begins with being comfortable with yourself, not being fearful of what might be there, knowing that there are solutions. And a lot of that also entails and learning about what these issues are. Yeah, totally. Also, if you're open, you should definitely be getting tested more often than that, right? We're kind of talking about like monogamous relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's almost like a responsibility. Yes. You're a part of a community. These diseases exist in social sexual networks, literally. And you, by getting screened, can not only know your status, but then you can advocate for others to get screened and helping them solve a problem there too. You know, gonorrhea and chlamydia are not innocuous infections. For women, they can potentially lead to infertility. Untreated gonorrhea and chlamydia can evolve into what's called pelvic inflammatory disease, which can literally scar your fallopian tubes to the extent that eggs cannot pass through into your uterus. I don't mean to laugh. I almost mean to cry because the disease is so easily treated if we just screen for it, treat it, basta, we're done. But that doesn't happen for a lot of people. And it can also lead to potential lifetime of chronic pelvic pain. There are a lot of negative consequences. And for men who have sex with men, untreated gynecomidia uh, can make it more likely to get HIV because it creates inflammation through which the virus can spread more quickly. So it's not an innocuous infection. I don't think any infection is, um, even if it is asymptomatic. So th- there are lots of good reasons why we should be screening more often, but there are a lot of barriers right now out there to why we can't or we, why we don't. Some of them are external, some of them are internal. The social stuff's huge, and that is, I think, a benefit to doing it online. But let's talk about, you mentioned HIV, so let's talk about PrEP for a second. What is it? How does it work? Mm -hmm. Who is it for? And how is it kind of like, it's been revolutionary. PrEP is a wonderful thing. It's called pre-exposure prophylaxis. There's also post-exposure prophylaxis. But pre-exposure prophylaxis, there are two forms out there that you may have heard of, Truvada, which is now a generic medication, and Descovy. Uh, it's a pill form that you take every day. And in so doing, after about a, a month of daily use, it will effectively prevent HIV transmission during sexual acts. It's used for anyone who might be at risk uh, for HIV transmission. So most often we're talking about men who have sex with men, uh, but we're also talking, uh, there's a lot about uh, IV drug use. So if your partner or you yourself use IV drugs, then it's, it's you should probably consider being on PrEP. The, the risk profile is very low for the medication. And even though HIV is a chronic disease, we should try to prevent its transmission as, as much as possible. So uh, again, it's a daily use. There's also now an injection out there that people can get. It's a brand medication, so it's very expensive. 
and, and a lot of insurance doesn't cover it. But yes, you're right. It has been a game changer. A lot of patients are on it or a lot of individuals are on it. And because of that, there's probably less HIV transmission out there. At the same time, though, it doesn't prevent other STIs. It doesn't prevent gonorrhea, chlamydia, or syphilis. And when people are on it, we also want to make sure that we're checking their kidney function at least every three months uh, because it can uh, decrease kidney function. And if that happens, then we have to look for other options for uh, HIV prevention. Okay. So you also have herpes treatments on your site. And it's a highly stigmatized, but very common STI. So what do people need to know about herpes? Yeah, absolutely. There are two forms of the virus out there. There's two kind of genotypes, HSV1 and HSV2. Common kind of knowledge or received knowledge was that if you have HSV1, you got it during like grade school or when you were a kid passing a sippy cup from one to the other. So you might not even think about it as a sexually transmitted infection. HSV2 historically has been more responsible for a lot of the genital lesions we hear about. HSV1 historically caused more of what we call cold sores, so kind of breakouts on your mouth. The virus, there is no cure for it, but it can be managed. And there are two kind of strategies to managing outbreaks due to herpes simplex virus. One is taking a medication as the outbreak is about to occur. And a lot of people have what are called, quote unquote, prodromal signs of, of an impending outbreak occurring, whether it's a little tingling on your lip or near your genital area somewhere. If that occurs, then you could take a medication, an antiviral medication. We provide what's called valacyclovir. And doing it lessens or decreases the viral replication and therefore the inflammation associated with the replication that is the outbreak and speeds up healing and decreases the potential viral shedding that is the, the way it's transmitted from one partner to another. If you have a lot of outbreaks, or if you have very painful outbreaks, or if your outbreaks cause you anxiety, which it does for a lot of people, and rightly so, if you have a partner whose HSC says you are or they are not aware of, or if you know what it is and they're negative, and you want to prevent passing it on to them, whether it's HS, probably in most cases, HSV2, then uh, you can take a daily pill, valacyclovir, to prevent outbreaks before they occur. It also decreases viral shedding, but it doesn't cut it off completely. And viral shedding can happen whether or not you have open lesions or an active outbreak or not. So, but if you're taking that daily one, Mm -hmm. you are essentially preventing it or not? Yes. Yeah. You're doing the best that you can at that point. Which is how effective? That's a good question. I guess I don't know the specific uh, statistics, but for most people, they don't have outbreaks on general uh, prophylactic preventative treatment for herpes. And so if your partner is taking the, the pill every day and they have genital herpes and you don't, you should feel very comfortable uh, having sex with them. Of course, if they have uh, visual signs of an outbreak, then it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be wise. Take a little time off. <laughs> take a little time. Just take a little time. <laughs> and and most people uh, start with 500 milligrams of valacyclovir for prevention daily, but sometimes that can be increased if either they have immunocompromised condition or or if they have outbreaks despite the fact that they're on that dose. Okay. Wow. I feel like we covered a lot. I do have one more question for you. So are you an MD and an MBA? I am. I am. 
is that's a weird combo right or not weird but unique combination well it, i guess so you know the focus or, or the reason why is i guess multifold but you know partly to learn about the business side of anything because you know i think we would kid ourselves if we didn't think healthcare was a business right. and, and treat it as such. I mean, it's like the ultimate business. <laughs> right it's now. the ultimate business. <laughs> and and we all have a stake in it, whether we're involved or not. And I think a lot of there's a lot of organizations making a lot of money, doing a lot of things that probably aren't in the best interests of our national healthcare, aren't in the best interests of you or me. You know, we have millions of people literally who don't have healthcare in this country, yet we spend 20% of our GDP on healthcare. We spend more than most countries, you know, a lot of countries combined, yet our outcomes are nowhere near some other places that are a lot smaller and doing things differently and spending a lot less. So what, what does that mean? And why is that? Medications here cost a lot more expensive than in Canada. I have patients that go to Canada or Mexico to get medications filled. What does that mean? And so looking and knowing that I knew I wanted to be a primary care physician. I wanted to focus on preventative health. And I also knew things needed to change. But to do so, you need to, I, I felt like I needed to know more about the business side of to hopefully create change from within. And I think you need more people with broader backgrounds to help catalyze uh, and create a new healthcare product for individuals that work for all of us. And hence, that's kind of why Mona came about. I met my business partner in business school. And and he and I have been working ever since to make this a reality for everyone. Cool. Well, I love it. I don't normally run an ad on my podcast for free, <laughs> but in this case, I'm into it. But the catch is it's only available in Iowa, Michigan, and Minnesota right now. Is that right? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's always ever-changing. There are a lot of issues. There are licensing issues, cross-state issues, telemedicine requirements in every state are different. Um, but currently, Mona is available in Michigan, Colorado, Arizona, Maine, New Hampshire. Oh, more. Yep, Vermont. It's grown. It's grown, and we're continuing to grow. We have lots of competitors who are doing kind of similar to what we're, we're about. And that's great because there's, there's a lot of need out there. Um, and I think we all have our eye on the same prize, which is getting people connected to healthcare in a way that they feel is dignifying who they are helps them learn about themselves and again, grow in their sexual health and reproductive healthcare journey. Great. Well, this has been awesome. Is there anything else you think listeners should know about how to maintain their sexual health? Yeah, understand that there should be no shame or embarrassment. And you've heard a lot about embarrassment today. I felt a lot of embarrassment. Uh, I'm sure your host here has felt a lot of embarrassment and, and you may too, <laughs> but that's unfortunate and it shouldn't be that way. And just know that we're working all towards uh, making the world a, a safer, sexier place without fear or embarrassment. You see a lot of our political leaders making it harder to not feel that way. But there are a lot of folks who support you. We're out there and, and we would love to, to connect with you to help you grow uh, and be who you, you know you are. Whew. Okay, privates. I am feeling all brought up to speed on STIs. That was a really good refresher course. And I hope you are all feeling similarly empowered to make good decisions about your sexual health as you are out there getting your freak on. 
And if you really enjoyed this conversation and you would like to listen to some similar episodes, we actually have a couple in our archives that touch on these same topics. So episode 13 with the hosts of the Shameless Sex Podcast, Amy and April, who I freaking love. April has a hell of a story. We did an episode that is called Banishing STD Stigma. And we probably should have called that STI stigma. (laughs) But... Uh, That was a few years ago, and here's a little preview of that conversation. And the STD piece, which I think is more important now than ever because they're on the rise. Your life isn't over if you get an STD and you are not broken and you're not alone. And Don't be scared to get tested. Get tested. That's like the biggest thing, too. I think some people are scared to get the answer and it's like your life isn't over so just go in there and face the beast because I got an STD in my when I was first guy I ever slept with lost my virginity or Amy doesn't like the losing the virginity she lost it I gave my virginity as a gift in a little box in a a little little box and I yeah it was an unfortunate and then she got herpes in return event yeah And then just a couple months ago, I had an incredible conversation with Alexander Cheeves. He's currently based in Berlin and just such an interesting guy. But for episode 101, we had just a multifaceted conversation. The episode is called Fisting 101 plus coming out, living with HIV in a post-prep world, becoming a sex worker and writing My Love is a Beast. And here is a little preview of that conversation. I'm just old enough to wear people who kind of tested positive around the same time that I did will really be the last generation to sort of remember what life was like before PrEP. My first two years with HIV were really, really tough because the minute I told anybody I was positive, they blocked me on a dating app, they blocked me online, or they... Nobody knew anything about it, really. And also, I was in a small town, so, you know, there wasn't any awareness, there wasn't any education. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Private Parts Unknown. Stay tuned because I have got lots more sexy episodes coming up soon. So there is a lot more where this came from. And to stay in touch between episodes, follow me at Courtney Kosak. That is K-O-C-A-K on Instagram and Twitter. And follow the show at Private Parts Unknown on Instagram and at Private Parts Un on Twitter. For the latest episodes, look down and make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast player now. On Spotify, you just click that little bell button. Of course, subscribe to our newsletter at privatepartsunknown.substack.com. The link is in the episode description. We made it super easy for you. Shout out to Amy Rausch for the bomb-ass theme music. For more about Amy and her music, check out amyrausch.com. That's Amy, R-A-A-S-C-H dot com. This episode was mixed by my ride-or-die audio guy, Michael Castaneda of Plastic Audio. And after enjoying this content, could we ask you for a quick favor? Just go to ratethispodcast.com slash private and give us a five-star rating and review. You can do this on any platform you are listening on, or you can just go to ratethispodcast.com slash private. You guys have been awesome about helping us out with ratings and reviews lately, and I am so, so grateful. So right now on Apple Podcasts, we are at 251. We somehow went backwards. <laughs> we were at 252 last time. So we are trying to get to 275 and we're trying to get some fresh reviews, honestly. So if you could help us out with that, just if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you could give us a five star rating and review on Apple, that would mean the world. 
it is great social proof and it helps other people find the show and it just really makes our day and then over on spotify we're trying to get to 75 and we are currently at 59 so if you're listening on spotify just go to the upper left hand corner of our page click the star button and then click all five stars thank you so much for your help until next time i am wishing you lots of horniness and happiness and super fun safe sex bye Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.